Every learner is incredibly different. Some learn by doing, some learn by hearing, some learn by seeing, or some even learn through music. School isn't necessarily designed for each learning style, but there are ways of merging your child's learning style with their academic learning. Today, we're going to talk about the different learning styles, how to figure out what kind of learner your child is, and how to connect your learner's style with the current academic experience. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 26 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. We're excited to take a break today from executive functioning, which is what we've been talking about the last several episodes. Go to the show notes to find links to episodes about time management and how to plan, organize, and prioritize. We spend a lot of time early on with a student to figure out and to help them understand what type of learner they are so that they can maximize their natural affinities and learning profile. There are many different learning styles, but for today, we've chosen to only focus on three. The three that we are choosing to highlight today are auditory learners, those who learn by hearing, kinesthetic learners, or those who learn by doing, and visual learners, those who learn by seeing. Rach, why is it important to find out what type of learner your student is? It's important because our job as educational therapists is to help students figure out how they learn best. One of the first things we can do with them is figure out what style of learner they actually are so we can maximize it to its full potential. Also important because you and I spend a lot of time talking about the right fit schools You couldn't see me, Smarties, but I did air quotes on right fit. Yeah. And we talk about the right fit schools for our students. And at the very core of this conversation is the understanding that certain schools, especially if we're talking about private schools, really emphasize and really cater to different styles of learning. For example, a project-based curriculum is great for a student who's a kinesthetic learner And it's a good basis of understanding to have when you're communicating with your child's teachers as well. So if you can go to your child's teacher and say, listen, my learner is very kinesthetic or my learner really thrives with audio content and they're an auditory learner, educators are familiar with this understanding of learning and it can take them a while in the classroom full of children to figure out your child's specific learning style. So we're kind of like, cutting to the chase and getting right in there. And it's really the first step of building rapport with the teacher. If you know your learner's profile, I will say sometimes it's very difficult for parents to know. And so that's when having an educational therapist or someone who's a real expert on learning can really be beneficial. Right now, we're going to dig into the three profiles we're highlighting, but we wanted to remind you it's entirely possible that your learner leans towards one of these profiles more than the other. It's also possible that your learner is a mishmash of two or even three of these profiles. So the first type that we're going to discuss today is auditory. And auditory learners tend to learn by hearing. So it's important to note that most schools are set up for this type of learner. It's the typical listening and taking notes type of schooling. People who listen to podcasts, for example, tend to be those who like to learn by listening. 
Most of school is really talking at you, so this type of learner really has an advantage in traditional schooling. So how do you figure out that you're this type, Rach? Well, first of all, before we really dig into like each of these individual styles, there are lots of tests that you can actually take online to help kind of guide you and help figure out which type of learning style you are. But if we're doing this really informally, an auditory learner is one who likes to listen to content. You tend to remember what was said in conversations And you probably liked school because school was set up for you and you liked being spoken to as a way of taking in new information. If you're an auditory learner, how do you connect that learning style with your academic experience? So remember that it's something that you're listening to. So instead of just reading out of a book, read things out loud to yourself. So you can hear it. The next thing is if you're talking about math problems, Rachel really advocates that you should talk through a math problem. We're talking definitely about each step and especially if it's a word problem. I absolutely recommend that every style of learner does this activity. It really solidifies their learning when it comes to math. Definitely. Interpret instructions out loud. That means say it in your own words. Let yourself hear it. Explain concepts to a friend or a parent, and these are social learners that like to do it that way, and they can hear themselves also. Another example that would really help is when explaining concepts, record yourself with your phone or your computer so that you have something to listen back to. You can do this with spelling words, for instance. If you said cat, if the word is cat, say C-A-T and play it back for your learner so that they can hear it being repeated, and it doesn't have to be you as the parent just sitting next to them saying it constantly. Yeah, that builds independence, right? Yep. You can also play a certain song every time you're doing a particular subject or doing something in particular that you need to remember, or a different song, depending on what it is and how you connect to things that you hear. It's going to help bring back that moment in time and help you remember what you need to remember. Steph, this is something that you and I talk a lot about. I think in session, I will talk to my students about memory triggers. Yeah. There's a lot of different memory triggers that you can create for a student that's intentional and easy for them to do that can help remind them of what they were learning at a particular moment from a sensory experience. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about playing a certain song, if you always play a certain I prefer classical music. If you always play a certain classical song while a student is working on math, for example, when they're in math class and they're working on a particular problem, your brain can actually trigger you just by you're going to hear that part of the song that when you're working on a similar problem at home. Sometimes the music comes up in your brain for a reason. The next style of learning is kinesthetic learners. And This is probably the style of learner that really gets underserved in most schools because it's learning through the body. This is the type of student who takes in information by touching. That's the student who can't wait to touch something. They take in information by manipulating their body in some way. These are kids who really like projects. They tend to really like science because science is super kinesthetic. We encourage touching in that subject area. 
and school is just not set up for this because it's difficult behaviorally and classroom management wise to really encourage movement as a form of learning. I would add that these are the kids that do really well if they're doing cartwheels while they're studying. Exactly. And I know a lot of parents struggle with, is that okay? Is that really helping my child? If your child is a kinesthetic learner, absolutely. I work on a lot of this jumping on the trampoline while studying or doing something in session with clients. Mm -hmm. And it really, really helps them connect with the material. You'd be so surprised how much they turn on when they're able to move their body while they're doing the same thing rather than just sitting at a chair. Exactly. These are the kids who really do need the manipulative in their hand. These are kids who, when they're playing a sport, really do need to be chewing gum to focus because they need that kind of kinesthetic input. They need that body awareness input. And so this is something that it looks like distractionary behavior a lot of the times to the adults in the room. But if we can channel that energy in a positive way, which by the way, not always possible for a teacher. So we're not saying teachers should be doing something differently. There are legitimate reasons why this style of learner is most difficult to reach. But it's important to be aware of it so that you can teach your child that underneath the table, they can have a manipulative, right, mm -hmm. Steph? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I have a box of fidget toys and things in, right, I do too. in my office on the table because they're constantly needing to check in and touch things and mess with them and bring themselves back to the material. And I would also argue that like you and I spend a lot of time with them, if they're this style of learner, explaining to them that why socially some of this behavior and touching things can make a teacher think you're not paying attention. Oh, yeah. And so helping them to learn how to self-advocate and say, no, I hear everything you're saying and teaching them to talk back to you and not just take in the information and listen quietly to it, but to actually respond and engage is really, really important. I'll also say that when we discover this about our learners, they breathe a sigh of relief because we are normalizing what feels natural to them and what a lot of the universe is telling them is not the way to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so true. It's pretty simple to figure out this style of learner because teachers are pretty quick to tell you that your student is fidgety and likes to move a lot. This is the student who likes to stand up or sit down a lot and leans back on their chair quite a bit. Mm -hmm. They like to do hands-on projects. They're really engaged with that type of learning. And they tend to remember things throughout their whole body. Steph, how do you connect this learning style with your school experience? I think this is the hardest one. Yeah, it definitely is. So to memorize things like I talked about, walk around or jump or jump on the trampoline or do a cartwheel, something physical to help them move their body while they're learning. Mm-hmm. Having a fidget toy like we talked about. One thing that I do with clients is I have a squishy cube, and I use it a lot when I'm talking about memory triggers. My kids who need something in their hand use it as a fidget toy in the classroom. I'm not even sure where it came from. Hmm. But one of the things that we do, especially with the younger kids who are learning spelling words, which if you listen to previous episodes, Steph and I do not emphasize very much, but if they have a test, that's an appropriate way of us teaching them some study strategies. We'll throw the ball back and forth and each person has to say a letter and you have to alternate. You have to make sure that they're able to do the whole word. And then once we throw the ball back and forth for a while, I have the kids just throw the ball up in the air and catch it. And each time they throw it up and catch it is another letter also. That's a really nice kind of small 
physical way of helping a student take in information and help them to remember it. By the way, even if your student is more auditory or more visual, learning these strategies is really, really physically engaging and they like it. Oh yeah, they definitely like it. It doesn't only work for students who are kinesthetic. Yeah. We can use different strategies from different learning profiles to emphasize the learning in all students. Yeah. I wanted to add that I have a basketball hoop on the back of my door in my office and I use that often. Um, I also have them, I have like a soft ball that I have them throw against the door or the wall actually. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we'll put things up and they have to aim for it Mm -hmm. depending on what it is. Or even like throwing a ball against a trampoline and having Mm -hmm. the ball bounce back at them. So I've done it all kinds of ways or jumping off the trampoline. There's just so many ways to get their body moving and so they can really connect with the material. And then you can see it takes it to a new level for them. And it happens quickly. Yeah, and you can see it in their faces and how engaged they are when they're able to move their bodies rather than sitting in a chair. You guys know me with the math, but I wanted to add one more thing about using hands for counting. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of research out there that we should be encouraging our students to use their fingers when counting. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is something that I combat a lot. In fact, I combat it with students more than teachers. Teachers are much more likely when I say, you know, I'm teaching them to use their hands and I'm teaching them to count up with their fingers. And I'm that's how I'm teaching these concepts because they're always going to have their fingers there as a tool, hopefully. Right. Yeah. And so the teachers are 100%. Yes. Totally, especially if the teacher's more aware of the more recent research about this. And it actually increases automaticity mm-hmm. with numbers. And it, it just does so much for our students. The ones who really have an aversion to it are the students themselves because their peers are telling them that it's babyish. They are hearing from the teachers that their number recall and their math fluency should be automatic. And the truth is it will get to the point that it is automatic when they're using their fingers. When I'm teaching multiplication, I never, ever teach it by pure memorization or flashcards. It is always through skip counting, through using their fingers. And if you guys want to know what this actually looks like, I have videos on my business Instagram account at capedtherapy, K-A-P-P-E-D, therapy, where I'm showing what skip counting using your fingers looks like. And I will tell you, there's a musical component to it also. And these students who struggled with their math facts have a strategy for attaining the answer. And very, very quickly, it becomes automatic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did it with a song the other day with a student. And mom Mm -hmm. told me they were singing it while they were walking to school. Exactly. And he's using his fingers now and it's – Yes. He's so proud of himself and it's made such a change already just in a few days. It's fantastic. There's something about the math facts that makes students very, very insecure mm-hmm. about their math abilities and that's really where we start to see like the emotional disconnect from math happen is when they're learning their multiplication tables because for some students, they learn it just by looking at it and it's in their brains and right. it's done. Right. I was not that student. Yeah. And then we also, for some reason, do time tests of like how much output you can get in terms of math facts. I don't understand that either. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a really nice workaround for students. Yeah. Yeah. Also, 
to add to that, just remember that we say sometimes it's good to do certain subjects, homework, studying in the same space, or sometimes a different one. Research about students doing math state testing in their math classrooms tend to do better on the testing than peers who don't. So it really depends on your student and what is available. But I have students who go to the library and do things, or I have students who do things you know, with me or whatever it is, just to change it up a little bit. Sometimes that works well. This math state testing thing is actually something that I remember from high school from our math chair. He always insisted that students were taking their math testing in their math state testing in their math classrooms. And our scores as a school drastically improved because students are already primed for math in their math classrooms. It makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's why we get so much done in sessions, right? Because students are primed and they know what they're going to do and it's timed out. Also, they know they're leaving after 50 minutes. So it's creating that kind of stability and location-based studying that can really help move a student along in their journey. It's it's so true. I'm having a kid. I want her to go to Starbucks to do her horrible flashcards. Yes. We can do a whole nother episode, Steph, about <laughs> why you and I don't like flashcards. Also, they can write in the air. Yes. There's a lot of programs out there that really say that writing things in the air is really helpful, including the Wilson reading program. So write spelling words in the air if that's something that will help your student. Yep. The third and final style of learning is the visual learner. So that is a student who learns by looking at things. So that's a student who likes diagrams. They really like visual aids. I used to really like pictures and books because it would give me a lot of clues about what that particular section was about. These are people who prefer to look at the board or follow along in the book. They tend to be really good at puzzles. And so they remember what was written on the board, what color it was written in, where it was written on the board. And highlighting that kind of natural ability can become a very valuable tool as a student develops throughout school. To figure out if you're this type of learner, you tend to remember images. You prefer to look rather than listen. You like to look at drawings and pictures in the books. You might be a doodler. You prefer to see information written down. I myself, when I have a student who's reading their writing to me, I routinely say, just show it to me because it'll be faster for me than having them read it out loud and I can process the information faster. Tend to like visual arts and visual learners tend to prefer to work alone. Steph, how do you connect the visual learning style with an academic experience. So color coding is great. Love. Yeah. So I remember, not that we advocate for this, but I remember I would color code binders and things for each subject of my classes. Yeah, exactly. I'm a very visual learner. So this is something that works really well for me. Taking notes in alternating colors. You might remember what color you wrote it in, triggering something in your memory visualizing spelling words. When taking notes, you write down keywords or draw something in your doodle or make a key. I often have kids make a key of things Mm -hmm. in the front of a book, and then they can use that to trigger certain things to remember. So a key being like, this is a character, this is a plot development, like those types of things that we're typically annotating. Exactly. And visualizing in reading comprehension. This is important in math word problems also. It's really important in anything you read. Visualizing what you are reading to help make connections. 
having that picture in your head. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as like when you read Harry Potter. Yeah. It didn't look anything in your brain like what the movie looked like, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, neither did the actors in my opinion, but yeah, the picture that we develop in our own minds is incredibly unique, but it's also a powerful tool. Yeah. So I just wanted to highlight a couple of other things about learning style. First of all, we only talked today about three different learning styles because they're kind of the big three. But if you do a Google search, there's lots and lots of different types of learning. And it actually does work to our students' advantage to use all the different styles of learning for different activities. One thing that I'll never forget is there's a video of Gabrielle Giffords after she was shot. She didn't have the ability to verbally communicate, but she was able to sing songs. And that's because music is stored in a part of the brain that is very, very different from verbal expression. And so while she wasn't able to communicate, she could sing songs that she knew because that part of her brain wasn't damaged. It's also a part of our brain that doesn't get used a lot. So That part of our brain has a lot of capacity to hold on to information because we don't use it in the same way that we use other parts of our brain, which is why Steph and I use music a lot Mm -hmm. with our learners because they remember it. And the reason they remember it is there's a lot of space there to remember things. There's also a lot of ways of connecting all three different styles of learners. And I just wanted to share an example from my preschool teaching days. And we would introduce sounds and letter associations. So for example, the letter B, the sound for is B, right? And what we would do is we would put tape on the floor in the uppercase B and the lowercase B. And so that was for the visual learners. So they could see what it looked like. And all students needed to be exposed to what the letters looked like anyway. We would have drumsticks for the kinesthetic learners so they had something that they could hold. Obviously, there was a lot of teaching about how to appropriately use drumsticks in the classroom and space between the kids' bodies. Repeat the sounds, b, 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 and then shout b for the auditory learners. And all three of these things would happen simultaneously. So sometimes we would even have kids take turns and stand up and beat the letter B, for example, with their drumsticks, repeating the sound that it made. It was really fun. It was really engaging. And it hit all different styles of learners. And by the time we were introducing letters in preschool, we knew which style of learner each student was and so who we were targeting. But this kind of like multi-dimensional approach is something that we had the luxury of doing, it doesn't always happen in school. Mm -mm. So it's just a way of explaining how you can hit all three things simultaneously. Steph, is there anything you would add? No, I think that's a great example. And I think if you guys need some more ideas for how to help your learner, especially if you don't have the luxury of changing schools, Rachel and I are here to help give you some ideas and how to change it and help your learner use their strengths to overcome their weaknesses. You guys can always email us at learnsmarterpodcast at gmail.com or hang out with us in the Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast Facebook group. We went Facebook Live a couple of weeks ago, and there's a lot of people who are still watching that video. And so hang out with us there. Or if you want to book a strategy session, reach out to us. In any of those formats, you can also go to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast. It's a lot of different places for you guys to connect (laughs) with us. If you're interested in figuring out what kind of learner you have, this is a really important basic element of helping our students learn smarter. Yeah. (laughs) 
Have a great week, Smarties. See you next week.